we're, um, we're starting off on a new book. We have a six-week series called A New Design for Living. And for inspiration, I'm using this new old book of Ernest Holmes. So originally published in, in 1959, it, it represents really his last published work, although it's been out of print until just this last year. This was Ernest Holmes as a, as a mature philosopher. Uh, also, the, for those of you who have read Ernest Holmes before and, and found his writing style a little archaic, uh, not so much here. Uh, completely more modern style of writing that he assumed uh, in the 40s and 50s. So unlike some of his earlier work that sounds a bit like or oration, do you know what I mean? That, that kind of 18th century style of writing. This is very easy to read, very lovely, and talks about those same eternal spiritual principles that, that the chant we just heard was referring to. So it's called A New Design for Living, and it has a promise. I loved starting with the promise of a book because it, it helps set up what you can expect from it. And in fact, uh, occasionally I'll write back to authors either to thank them when the promise was fulfilled or to make a suggestion if it didn't quite work out that way. <laughs> so, uh, so feel free to do the same because my promise is, to you all is going to be the same as Ernest Holmes' promise here in the book. He says, Why are you interested in a new design for living? The odds are that in some aspect of either your health, your affairs, or relationships, things are simply not all that you desire them to be. In some way or other, the patterns of your life and the experiences that you have had have not come up to your hopes and expectations. You feel a need to get out of your well-worn rut and move into a fuller, richer enjoyment of life. What can be done about establishing a new design for living in your own personal experience. And so that's the promise over the next six weeks. Reverend Sharon and I are going to be giving you the, the tools, the templates, are going to be giving you ideas and thoughtful ways of truly having you be the architects of your own life, to come up with a indeed a new design for living. But you know what? I, I was just reading you from the introduction, and really he spills the beans right in the introduction, so I'm going to carry on here for just a minute, because he basically he says it comes down to two things. He says, first, there must be a willingness and a desire to cut yourself loose from undesirable aspects of your past. And the second thing he says is that you will need to enlarge your viewpoints to develop an eagerness to encounter new ideas, to evaluate them, and to assimilate those which you can best use and adapt for your purposes and requirements. Now that sounds easy, doesn't it? It's kind of like house cleaning. We'll, we'll get rid of the old thoughts, the old ideas, the old stuff in our lives, and make way for something new. I want to spend some time today, though, talking about these two requirements because they're deceptively easy to say, maybe not so easy to enact. So first off, he says we must have a willingness and a desire to cut yourself loose from undesirable things of the past. But you know, this itself has a kind of a many parts to it. First of all, there's the idea of cutting ourselves loose from limiting beliefs. Maybe, uh, maybe you were trained to think about yourself in a certain way. I'm just not very good at math. You know, I'll, I'll never be a, 
a good singer, or um, I have my limitations, I'll never earn as much as my parents earned, or, um, you know, my education isn't just quite what it needs to be in order to get better jobs. You know, we all have these ideas that we have put kind of around our own experience based on the past. I, I use the example of not being a good singer, and I still remember my, my first time in high school choir. Now, I had never sung with any, you know, any group other than just sort of in the shower or around the campfire kind of thing. And so I signed up for choir because I thought that would be lovely fun, and a lot of my friends were in the choir. And so I went for the audition, and afterwards the choir master said, um, well, certainly you can join the choir, but... Um, would you mind doing me a favor? Would you mind being in the back row and just kind of mouth the words? <laughs> and you know, it is things like that that can stick with people for a lifetime. Now, fortunately, you know, I was of the age and of the temperament just to go, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and, and, by, and, you know, by the end of the first quarter, I was doing great and having fun in choir. And he had me, you know, more appropriately in, in, in with the, the regular choir sections instead of in the back and mouthing the words. But how often, especially at a young age, can we be crushed by comments like that? You know, an idle comment to a youngster, something like, oh, sweetie, you'll never amount to much. You're, you're such a goofball. You know, it could be met with just love and tenderness, but people can hold on to things like that for their entire lives, no matter how it was intended. So we must have a willingness to cut loose from limiting beliefs. We also have to cut loose from ideas of smallness, limitation, self-condemnation. How many of us have tapes running through our heads where we're actively kind of condemning ourselves? I'll never be good at this. I'm not worthy of having a great job. You know, I don't have the education in order to do what I want in life. How many of us replay tapes over and over again of what we heard as a child? Or maybe we've concluded it ourselves because we flunked that one math test. And so therefore, from then on, we always say, I'm bad at math. I can't do my own taxes. I don't bother to balance my checkbook. From maybe one or two isolated experiences, we've put ourselves in a box and said, I'm not good at math, I'll never be good at relationships, I, I have my limits as to what I can do physically or mentally or emotionally. I just am the way I am, and it's small, and it's defined, and it's limited. The other thing that we have to be giving, get, the other thing we have to be willing to give up is simply the fear of doing things wrong. So many of our self-imposed limitations are because of what? We tried it once, <laughs> it didn't work out, and now I'm afraid of embarrassing myself further. What if I had said that on that first choir day? It's like, oh great, you know? I guess I'll try out for wrestling, which would have been equally bad, I assure you. <laughs> it's like, no, we have to be okay with trying new things. We have to be willing sometimes to step beyond that self-imposed idea of what we can do or what we should do or what other people said we're capable of doing. Last but not least, and this one I think is perhaps the toughest one, because when we say things in the past, is it not true that sometimes our past comes right up into the present moment. So this last one's a little tougher. You may need that willingness to give up the people, the places, the events, and the patterns of your life 
that are keeping you from realizing your true potential. Now this is a tough one. There's this little thing that I think of as sort of psychic or um, spiritual, I, I don't know what the right word is, but the second word that I would put with it is a heaviness, is a, is a stuckedness, is a, um, it's the inability perhaps sometimes to get out of a rut. And if we've got ourselves in a rut, if we have ourselves in a box, if we have ourselves defined in a certain way that's lacking or limiting or, or causing anxiety in our lives or that sort of undercurrent of pain, what I know is there's an inertia, maybe that's the best word, an inertia that must be overcome to get out of that. How many of us right in this room would be willing to say that there's an undercurrent of pain based on experiences from the past that kind of persists most of the time. You know, those of you who've rec uh, read Eckhart Tolle, he says that there is the assumed body of pain in all of our lives, that every time we were wounded a little bit, every time someone said something unkind to us, every time that we fell short of our own measurement or were judged in some way, that we kind of shrug it off, well, that's no big deal. But we internalize it nonetheless. And over weeks and months and years, that body, if you will, of internalized small hurts has turned into what often is referred to as the body of pain. Now what is insidious about this is we think it's normal. What is tragic about this is because we have carried it kind of like a, like a burden on our shoulders, for so long, it's like a comfortable sweater that we put on. Does everyone have a, a favorite article of clothing that, you know, that people that, that love us would just love to see it go to goodwill? But, you know, I have an old plaid flannel shirt, and I swear I'll probably be buried in it. But we have elements of our lives like that that are ready to be retired, and yet we hold on to them. And so not only do we have to have a willingness to let go, to cut ourselves away from the undesirable things of our past, but we have to be able to define what's undesirable. And I want you to think about this. I'll, I'll use an example. So when I was in my 20s, I embarked upon my first long-term relationship. And Bob and I were together for over 10 years. I think, I think it was 11, almost 12 years and in year two, what I realized was I was living with an alcoholic. And in my 20s, I was clueless. I didn't know anything about alcoholism, didn't really have any coping skills. Um, I, you know, along with probably millions of other people in the world today, I felt ashamed and I felt trapped. Uh, I was the classic enabler. You know, he, he wasn't doing very well, right? So I did everything to compensate, making his life even easier to find the next drink, right? Thinking I was doing him a favor. You know, classic codependent behavior, classic enabling behaviors. And to my credit, I didn't know any better. I honestly didn't know any better. What I felt was trapped. I felt horrified. I felt ashamed. Because I had such an emotional investment into wanting a long-term relationship, 
I assumed that the rest of my life would be coping this way. So fast forward, um, you know, 30-some years later, and I'm asking you out in the audience to really evaluate your lives for what perhaps is not working out, for what is undesirable, as Ernest Holmes would say. And you know what? If I was 23 and out there in that audience, I would probably say, well, my life is just what it is. I don't really see a way out of it. There's an inertia here, right? I've, I've figured out as best I can how to cope with this situation. And, uh, you know, maybe it'll change someday. But honestly, from what you've just said, Larry, <laughs> gulp, maybe it won't change. This is what I'm asking you to really look at. Are there elements in your life that you're taking for granted that body of pain that's sitting on your shoulders and that you've been wearing it for so long that you're not even aware of it anymore. Some of us may be wearing it like that old flannel shirt of mine. In fact, even a kind of fondness. Now, I know this sounds scary, but perhaps even a kind of a fondness for the things that have gone wrong in your life because you understand them, because you get them, because you even maybe have praised yourself for your coping skills for them. Well, I hope I'm scaring just the holy heck out of everyone today. <laughs> because our lives, when we simply assume that I can't change, that I'm limited, that I have to deal with what I've got right now, that there's no hope, we're doing ourselves a terrible disservice. And you know what that disservice is? We are considering ourselves a victim. We are saying, either explicitly or tacitly, we are saying that I will define myself and my chances on this planet based on the people and the places and the ideas that have been served up to me by life. We're saying that because I'm in this relationship, I'm a certain way. Because the choir master said a few things to me, I can't sing. We're saying that because my first husband did whatever, you know, I'll probably never have a good relationship. We're, we're saying that because my, uh, you know, my first piano teacher said he's hopeless, he'll never play the piano. We're, we're saying that because my parents had a lousy um, a relationship with money, that I will never have one either. We cannot afford to be victims. We simply cannot afford to be victims, and that is exactly what Ernest Holmes is saying, is that we have, must have a willingness and a desire to cut ourselves loose from undesirable things of the past. We can no longer afford to be a victim of what has come before. So are you willing to see what's undesirable in your life? Are you willing to look honestly at your life right now and the way you feel about it? Are you willing to not settle for just what you've been dealt? I've heard people talk about their lives as though they're playing cards. Well, it was the hand I was dealt. I was just, you know, I, I was born looking this way and in this family and in this situation, and, and that's all the best I, I can hope for. Are you willing to really look at that and really see that you have some choices that are not about being a victim. And finally, and this last one is the hardest one, I think. Are you willing to give up some of your comfortable pain for the promise 
of greater happiness that will come at the price of change. Basically, that equates to, are you willing to give up that old flannel shirt? Are you willing to take a chance on something new? So that's the first of the two things that Ernest Holmes says we have to be willing to do. We have to have a willingness and a desire to cut ourselves loose from the past. Okay, the second thing he said is we have to simply enlarge our viewpoint. And he says this is important in in two different fundamental ways. First of all, we have to expand our viewpoint, viewpoint about where good comes from where our enjoyment, where our love, where our um, sustenance, where it all comes from, where the good that we feel in life, where it comes from. Because if we think it's just our job, if we think it's just our spouse, if we think it's just our family arrangement, if we think it's just our job, if we think it's something on the outside again, then when the outside changes, what? We're back in that victim role again. So Ernest Holmes suggests that we start growing a really big idea of our source as God, as life, as the, as the infinity of the universe. However you want to look at it, in whatever spiritual terms you want to think of it, our source is God. Um, you know, we always say on Sunday that God is everything. Almost all of the prayers that our practitioners or I do will start out by saying something like, God is all there is. God is everything. God is love. God is life. God is joy. And we're meaning this not just in a, in a quaint way, <laughs> not just a, 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 like a rote kind of way. We mean it literally. God is everything. The source of all power, all love, all joy everything, whether it be the food on your table or the beautiful sunny day outside, the source of it is God. And the power in this, the beauty in this, is then we don't have to figure it out. I think it's only human that when we want to make changes, when we want to become the architect of our new life, that then we want to know exactly how to do it and and the specifications according to our own experience. And you know what? Our own experience is what got us here. (laughs) It is our own experience that in many ways has messed up some parts of our lives. So if we're going to draw on that experience for something better, it's the very definition of being limited again, right? We have to be able to trust in a power greater than ourselves to know the ways and means by which our good can flow to us. I hear people all the time Uh, say, you know, well, I'm on a fixed income, so I really can't go on vacation this year. Or I'll hear them say, well, you know, there's only so much to go around, and between this and this and this, all the money is spent. We're thinking like such human, such limited human beings. There is no such thing as a fixed income unless in our own minds we fix it. There is no such thing as limited resources unless we are the limiting factor. The universe is endless, and God is endless in God's ability to figure out ways to give us good stuff. But if we're only going to see the good, 
through the narrow lens of what we've already experienced. If we think that our good has to come from our job, if we think that all of our love has to come from our partner, if we think, do you know what I mean? If, if we're looking at our lives as though it has to be just the way it's always been, well, then our life is just going to be the way it's always been. And this new design for living is going to have a little trouble taking off. The next thing that Ernest Holmes has to say in terms of broadening our perspective leads me to today's joke. <laughs> no, it's good. It'll, it'll fit in. You'll like it. So it's called The Minister and the Farmer. A minister was enjoying a drive through the country one Sunday afternoon, and he noticed a remarkably beautiful farm. He stopped the car and strode over to the farmer who was surveying his crop. The Lord provides such fertile ground, doesn't he? The minister said. And so the farmer began showing him around and showed a lovely flower garden. And the minister said, God's beauty, it's simply endless. And the farmer showed him a huge kitchen garden with all the vegetables. And the minister remarked, God's bounty, my son. What a privilege just to be a part of it, to behold it. And as he was getting in the car to head back to the city, he thanked the farmer for the visit and said, you and the Lord sure have a beautiful place here. Well, said the farmer, unable to contain himself any longer, you should have seen it when just he had it. <laughs> now here is, this is going to take a little bit of talking. Because I think it is very common, even when those of us who have, a, I would say, a deep spiritual practice and a reverence for the power of God, we tend to think that all we have to do is turn our lives over to God. In fact, I think now and then we sing a song like that here on Sunday. But I want to tell you, probably the planet was doing fine before there were even human beings, right? There was a time before there were human beings, before we got up to come to church on Sunday, before all of the, the humankind and uh, I would argue with you that the world was in perfect condition. Not a missing star in the sky, do you know what I mean? Every blade of grass in just the right spot. We're used to defining God in terms of the human experience. And I don't know that this is a bad thing, but it is a limiting thing. We need to be able to shift our idea of God and ourselves to allow this idea of co-creation. Yes, God is infinite. Yes, God is the ultimate source and the infinite source of everything. And if left alone, of course, God will do a fine job. But I want to tell you, again, how is that any different than you're experiencing right now? If you want to experience more life, more love, more joy, more abundance, if you want to experience a greater degree of peace or harmony or joy, God works through us. Even as the farmer in the story was a little miffed because God had harnessed that beauty through the farmer to create the crops and the home and the garden and, and, and all that was there, right? God is not going to do anything more than what God always does if we're not here as the architect of our own affairs. 
And so what I'm asking you to do is almost the reverse of victimhood. What is victimhood? Victimhood is saying that I'm at the mercy of the people and places and events in my life. That what I see on the outside controls how I'm going to feel, how I'm going to act, how I'm going to be on the inside. That people, places, and things define who I am. That's what a victim is. I'm wanting you to reverse it. And this, this might take the rest of it. What do you think, Sharon? Might it take the other five weeks to get this reversed? I think so, but that's okay. Five weeks is a small uh, span of time. What I want us to be able to say at the end of the five weeks and really mean it is that my thoughts, my acceptance of my good in my mind and in my heart creates my experience in the world. The complete opposite. Are you ready for Opposites Day? (laughs) All right, bear with us. So this would be a more powerful version of ourselves. This would be us not in the role of victim, but in the role of co-creator. This would be us in the role of being able to modify our thoughts and our behaviors so that we're not repeating the same happenings and the same ideas in our lives over and over and over again. This is the infinite teachings of the ancients. That if we keep doing and keep believing, then we keep doing and we keep believing. And, and, and it just reinforces ourself, perhaps lifetime after lifetime, if we believe in reincarnation, that the very thoughts that keep us where we are are the thoughts that we perceive as making us have those thoughts. And so it's an endless cycle of thinking of our lack and limitation and then experiencing our lack and limitation. And then thinking of our lack and limitation and experiencing our lack and limitation. And all we need to do is say no more. All we need to do is say, I'm going to have a different thought. I'm going to replace old thoughts for new. So I'm going to close today with a little bit of homework. And I did this through writing a letter to God or or writing a letter, if you will, to your higher wisdom self. However you look at a power greater than yourself, whether it's God or spirit or a higher wisdom self. And I wrote the letter saying, Dear God, I am prepared to give up the following from my past in order to experience a better future. And I made a long list of all of the hurtnesses and lacks and beliefs of limitation, all of the the feelings of inadequacy, the feelings of not measuring up, a a long list of all of the the places where I thought I had been boxed in by other people or myself, the places as a child I'd been slighted. It was quite a long letter. (laughs) And I invite you to do the same. This is your willingness to get rid of that old, tired, but maybe favorite piece of thought that's keeping you hemmed in. And you can just sign it, thanks for helping me to build my life in the present moment. Larry, well, use your name. (laughs) This, This is a place to start. It is very difficult to make room for a new building, a new architecture that you're creating if your design specification says, oh, and by the way, I'm building this brand new life and it's going to be the exactly the way I want it, but oh yes, it needs to have room for all my old stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's like I'm starting absolutely fresh, oh, but 
you know, this bedroom set has to fit in the bedroom. And, oh, did I mention I have 12 dogs that have to have a run out in the yard? And Do you know what I mean? If you bring all of your old stuff to a new environment, not much has changed. And over time, <laughs> it'll look just like the old place. It is time to really take charge of our lives. We are going to embark upon a new design for living. And the place to start is by getting rid of the old stuff. The old habits, the old ideas, the old lack and limited ways of thinking. So let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is this thing that I call God. God is everything. God is everywhere. All seeing, all wise, truly everywhere. And what I know about this God is the source of all things. It is the source of every kind of good of love, of peace, of joy, of abundance. It is the source of the bread on my table. It's the source of the flowers in that farmer's field. Truly, God is the source of everything. And because that is true, I know it also means me. I know as the farmer, as the architect, I am in a co-creative place with God that my thoughts manifest into the world as my good. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room, that each person here has a willingness to let go of the old and outmoded ideas that no longer serve, that each person here has that willingness to begin designing their lives from a fresh start, from what they know to be true about themselves right now, not about the past, not thoughts of lack and limitation, but an expanded vision of each of us as a co-creator with God. And I am simply grateful for this. I am simply grateful to be in the presence of God as it takes the form of each person in this room and God's infinite supply. And so I just let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you so much for being here.